fun. All right. So let's read God's word. Uh, if you could stand with me. Today we are again reading from Hosea. This week, one of the most beautiful chapters in all of Scripture, uh, Hosea chapter 11. And the word of the Lord says this. When Israel was a child, I loved him. And out of Egypt, I called my son. The more they were called, the more they went away. They kept sacrificing to the Baals and burning offerings to idols. Yet it was I who taught Ephraim to walk. I took them by their arms, but they did not know that I healed them. I led them with cords of kindness, with the bands of love. And I became to them as one who eases the yoke on their jaws. And I bent down to feed, and I bent down to them and fed them. They shall not return to the land of Egypt, but Assyria shall be their king, because they have refused to return to me. The sword shall rage against their cities, consume the bars of their gates, and devour them because of their own counsels. My people are bent away, are bent on turning away from me. And though they call out to the Most High, he shall not raise them up at all. How can I give you up, O Ephraim? How can I hand you over, O Israel? How can I make you like Adma? How can I treat you like Zeboim? My heart recoils within me. My compassion grows warm and tender. I will not execute my burning anger. I will not destroy Ephraim, for I am God and not a man, the Holy One in your midst, and I will not come in wrath. They shall go after the Lord. He roars, he will roar like a lion. When he roars, his children shall come trembling from the west. They shall come trembling like birds from Egypt and like doves from the land of Assyria, and I will return them to their homes, declares the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you that you've brought us back. Thank you that you've kept us another week. Thank you that some of us are in beautiful seasons in our lives right now, and some of us are not, and you are faithful to all of us, that you keep every single one of us in the palm of your hand, that nothing has or will ever overcome you or your plans for us. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you be welcome to be in this place to do the work that only you can do. Open up these scriptures to us, Lord. You're the only great teacher of your word. And so I ask for you to speak to every single one of us exactly where we come here today. We come to hear from you. And so, Lord, um, meet us in this place. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Feel free to take a seat. So, uh, this week, I have been thinking of times in my life where I was in some struggle and I have felt forgotten by the Lord. I think it's really one of the most naturally human things to do. As we read in Hosea, right, we are people who are always prone to wandering. We are so forgetful. And though we have seen miracles happen, though we have seen God's provision all the time in our lives, uh, we forget. 
or we fall asleep, or we walk away, or we get bored and we find other lovers. And uh, I've experienced this in my life uh, on more occasions than I would ever want to say. Uh, before we came here, I graduated seminary in 2015. Well, I finished in 2015. And um, for over two years, I interviewed at places. I spoke to district superintendents around the country. I interviewed with jobs that I knew I would never get offered. Uh, frustratingly enough, almost every job I interviewed for, I never even got a, hey, not you, thank you. Uh, and I was just really angry in that season. I had everything that I actually really needed. I had a house, I had food. We didn't have a lot of money, but we had money. Um, and I was just angry the whole time. I was just frustrated because I thought, that, because I had done everything God told me to do up until that point. I left Chicago and I came, we got married and I started school and I did a really good job. I did a really good job at my schooling. Um, and I waited for over two years for anything. And in that time of waiting, I delivered mail for a college campus. And I was sweaty every day. And the van I delivered mail in had almost no AC. And I was just so angry all the time. I felt, I honestly felt like, uh, God, I did everything you told me to do, and you forgot me. You abandoned me here. Uh, fast forward, Anne and I find city life, and we love it, but we didn't know if there was a future here, but we started coming, and then uh, we kept on asking God if it was time to leave, and he never said it was time to leave. We stayed, and we kept on coming. We lived an hour away, but he like never said we could go, even though we asked, Lord, could we leave? Could you bring us where you're bringing us to? Um, and he never said yes to that. And so we just kept on coming. And then our previous pastor came, and uh, with him came a job, but the job had no money. But we knew that like, if we didn't come, we, would, we wouldn't come. Right? Pretty simple. If we didn't come, we wouldn't come. But if we didn't like, just take a risk and come, we would have been stuck for even longer. And God didn't tell us, he didn't give us permission to leave city life. And so we're just like, okay, we're, we'll come. We'll come and we'll figure it out. And uh, in my first while at city life, um, I drove Uber on the side. Actually, it was more like I drove Uber and church was on the side. And in that time, I also felt abandoned by the Lord. I felt Again, like, Lord, I feel like I'm doing what you're telling me to do, and I'm stuck again. Like I, and I'm stuck, and not in a nice season. I'm stuck in a hard season. Like, our first year here, we lived off of less than $24,000. And I was just like, God, like, what's going on here? How are we going to do this? How is this sustainable? We had, we had Ryan. When we moved here, Ryan was four months old. And we're like, Lord, what, how are we going to do this? I don't think this is going to last very long. I had felt uh, forgotten. I felt abandoned. Even though God was with us the whole time. Even though every little miracle at all the right times uh, was him providing for us. I just couldn't see it. 
And I think that that is the tension that most, a lot of life is lived in. It's really easy to feel abandoned. It's really easy for us to see the struggles of life and just not know what to do, to get really stuck in our heads and in our hearts and not have any more answers. And today's message is all about how that tension is real, uh, but it is not the God that we serve. It is not the God of these scriptures. Um, a couple of questions around Hosea are always centered around us. In times when we have plenty and in times when we have no answers, how faithful will we remain? How diligent will we be at seeing where he is and what he's doing in the good times and in the struggles? How committed are we going to be, not at being perfect because that will never happen, but at being committed? of not looking to any other lovers, of not looking to any other idols for comfort or for answers. Um, but how do we be people who remain truly entrenched in God in good seasons and in difficult seasons? Uh, the tension for us today is to think about our lives in these moments of struggle, but then also in these in seasons when we have more than enough and examine where we think all of our blessings really do come from. Today's scripture is a scripture where God lays out his heart right before something big is about to happen. Uh, and so before we dive into the word, let me pray for us one more time. Lord, um, Hosea was a powerful time in the history of what you were doing with your people. This is a powerful lesson for us today and in every day to be people who uh, struggle through how are we going to see you in every different season of life. Lord, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would help us to know exactly where we're at right now. If it's a good season and we haven't looked to you because we think we're the ones who give us what we need. If we're in a bad season, a hard season, and we um, think that you have abandoned us, that you are nowhere to be found, Lord, I pray that you help us to see where you are in the midst of our struggle, in the midst of hearts that are really tired of asking questions and looking for you. Please teach us how to actually find you. Please teach us to submit to you in every season that we find ourselves in. And so I pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, uh, to start Hosea, we said that Hose the book of Hosea is mostly these collections of Hosea's poems throughout his prophetic ministry over a 25-year period where he was telling Israel this, uh, this important and deep lesson. First, he lived it out when God told him to go and find a woman who would most likely not be faithful to him, to marry her, to exchange vows with her, to have children with her, and for him to really experience what it is like for your loved one to walk away from you, from your loved one to repeatedly choose someone else over you, to repeatedly reject every good thing that you have to offer to choose something that is less, that is cheaper, that is not loving at all. And Hosea had this like, incredible window into God's life. And then we get to chapter 11 of Hosea, which is poetry. 
beautiful poetry about God's heart and what he's doing and what he's about to do, and him as a father. Uh, one of the things that I want to point out before we really step into it is that we have, in this series, we've gotten really comfortable with the metaphor of a husband and wife, right? That's been the whole makeup of this. It's this picture of how God is with his people, was Hosea with his wife, Gomer. Uh, we are Gomer, by the way. We are never God. We are never the faithful ones. But that's the, the metaphor that covers the whole story, except for chapter 11, when God chooses a different metaphor. Because God knows, right, any husband, any wife, right, when it's time to talk about punishment, when it's talk, time to talk about correction, maybe the best metaphor isn't a husband yelling at his wife, uh, but maybe the better metaphor here is what God does. He picks up a father disciplining his children. Right? In fact, let me point out one more time. I, I pointed this out in the past, but God never tells Hosea to yell at Gomer. God never tells Hosea to correct her in this way. God never tells Hosea to go and put her in her place or to tell her the truth or to speak hard things in truth. Right? That is not what he tells Hosea to do to his wife. He, the only instruction we ever hear Hosea give, uh, God give Hosea is bring her back with love. Go pay her debts and bring her back to you. Promise her love again and bring her back to you with tender love. Speak to her heart and bring her back. Right? God knows what it's like. He knows what historically men do. He knows what abusive couples do, whether it's an abusive man or an abusive woman in the relationship. He knows that we tend to do this and so he switches up the metaphors and he starts talking about how he is a proud father. And so if today is about looking at times of struggle, right, because God is saying, we're going to cover this, but there's a struggle on its way and God is saying, I am in that struggle, but first let me, set, let me tell you why I am good, why I am a good and righteous God to bring you this discipline. Because a good father knows how to discipline their kids. Because a good parent knows that if they never discipline their child, their child is going to be the worst thing ever. Because there's almost nothing worse than a spoiled child. There's no, almost nothing worse to live with than a spoiled child, believe me. Not that our kids are spoiled. They're wonderful. <laughs> uh, we love them. Um, but man, a good parent knows when to discipline and how to discipline their child. And so God starts to talk to us about how he, has, he is a God who is righteous to discipline us because he's first point for today, a father who's been there all along. Right, verses one to four, God speaking to his people. When Israel was a child, I loved him. And out of Egypt, I called my son. Right, he's speaking to his nation, his people. I, like when you were a child, I was there. Like, let's set aside knowing and understanding that God formed every single one of us, right? He put us all together. He put our personalities, our spirits, our souls in place. He gave us our stories. But here what he's saying is, I've been there every moment of your life. I've been with you. You are my child, and I love being your father. Verse 2, he goes on, he says, The more they were called, the more they went astray. They kept sacrificing to Baals and burning offerings to idols. Verse 3, yet it was I who taught Ephraim to walk. I took them by the arms, uh, but they did not know that I was healing them. 
I led them with cords of kindness and with bands of love, and because, uh, and I became as one who eases the yoke on their jaws. Like God is saying, like, Israel, you are an unfaithful people. You leave me all the time. I am like a faithful husband, but I am also like your faithful father who has been there every moment. I think we do this thing in our minds when we, like, some of us are prone to forget God in good times. Some of us are prone to forget God in bad times. And most of us are prone to forget God in both. But we forget that he has been there in every season that you call good and every season that you call bad. He's been there all along. He's been taking care of us all along. He is the one who gives us every good thing ever since we were little kids. He's grabbed us by the hands and he's raised us up and he's cared for us. He's cared for you in your life. Just like in chapter 3 when it says that they, I healed them and they didn't even know it. God has been the one at work in your life in every season, whether you've known it or not. And in every instance where you can never look back and know that that was him, every time it has worked out, every time there's been a coincidence, every time it's been really hard but you made it through, it's him guiding you by the hands like a father takes their little ones and walks them through hard times. God's saying, I am righteous and able to bring you through difficult seasons because I brought you through everything, because I love you perfectly, because there's no one here that is better at taking care of you than me. So trust me. Uh, the last line here says, uh, and I became to them as one who eases the yoke on their jaws. This is uh, using the um, image of a yoked oxen. They would loosen the, the, the straps around their jaws so that they could relax and have a treat, right? That's like, he's like, in the right times, I always give you relief. I always give you what you need. I always am the one right beside you cheering you on, making the way for you known, getting all unforeseen evils and dangers and perils out of your way, but I know when it's time to leave something in your path. God is able to do that because he's the one who loves you perfectly. In Hosea's story, for over 650 years, every week I've mentioned that, for 650 years, God has been taking care of them in the promised land, giving them everything that they would ever need, making their lives so good. And he's been calling them all that time. He's saying, come back to me. Come and love me. Come and only serve me. Forget Baal. Forget all these foreign gods. Forget everything that is competing with your allegiance to me. Forget relying on money or your work or your family or your job or anything else. Don't rely on that for anything, even internal significance or love or value or identity. All that comes from me. I, have, I know you. I've been with you every moment of your life. I've taken you by the hands, and I lead you with kindness and love. And so everything God does is based out of this love that he has for us. But God's love is so good, and it's so perfect that he is such a good dad that he knows when to not take away an obstacle when it's on its way, when it's the best, most loving thing that a father could do to help make sure their child is not a spoiled little brat all the time. But God leads us with love. He leads us by relationship. 
He leads us in intimacy, never out of compulsion, never out of manipulation, never out of exploitation. God does not make anyone love him. God does not make any person turn into a robot or a computer to serve him. God lets us all choose out of our own free will if we will choose him or if we will look for other lovers. He serves us out of love in all circumstances that we would not even imagine. Wouldn't it just be easier for him to have made computers who would always respond to him, who would always say yes to him, who would never go to hell, who would never be lost, who would never live their whole lives being dead if he had just given away our choice to choose him or not. But that's not what God has done. God leads every person in this world with love. And it's our opportunity to say yes to him, because he always leads in love. He always raises us and teaches us in love. He provides for us in love. And then at every perfect moment, he also stands up to us in love. He also stands up to our idols and says, this is not gonna happen anymore, because he loves us as a parent loves his child. And verse four, last part and last thing in this section, verse four is just like, if we did not talk about this today, we, did not, we would not do this justice, that God finishes this off. He says, I bent down to them and fed them. I just think about how big, eternal, holy, beautiful, other, how this uncreated, creating God, this God who holds everything in the palm of his hand. Think about the image of this God bending down to little us and feeding us, taking care of us. Everything God does for us is an act of eternal generosity. Uh, Psalm 103, verses uh, starting in 13 and then ending in 17, it says this. It says, as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he knows how we are formed, He remembers that we are dust. But from everlasting to everlasting, the Lord's love is with those who fear him. He knows who we are. He knows what we're like. He knows that we are just, I'm a 6'2 pile of dust that is alive for, I'm not going to give an age to, hopefully a long time, I don't know. 120 years. Um, And then it goes away. And God sees it fit to show love on me, who lives this amount of time and fades away. He is a good father who loves us perfectly, perfectly more than we would ever have deserved. And he does that. He does that for Israel. He does that when his people were divided into two kingdoms. He does it when in seasons where it feels like we haven't heard from him in a long time. And he loves us in seasons where we feel we're flying in the clouds. It's because he's a good father. Uh, Point two for us today, that God is a God who is righteous to discipline his children, 
because he knows what's coming. That's point number two. Uh, one of the things I was thinking about this week um, is related to basketball. Mark Anthony, you'll like this. Uh, when you are trying to show off, I'm a trash talker, by the way. I am reformed. Ever since becoming a Christian, I can most of the time put a lid on it, um, but not always. Um, one of the things that you, you do to show off when you're playing basketball is that you make the shot, and if it feels good, before the ball goes in, you yell out Kobe. Right? Before the ball goes into the net, you want to show off. You're telling everyone, oh, that's going in. Don't worry about it. You say Kobe, and you run in the other direction. But it has to be done before the shot is actually made. Because who really shows off after you see that what you did actually worked, right? It's much more impressive and also embarrassing if it doesn't work out if you do it before the shot goes in. And really, what God does with all the prophets in a, a much more serious way is that he's just like shouting Kobe all the time. He's like, I know what's coming. You know why? I'm not surprised by what is about to happen because I am God and I am the one who is bringing this to you. I see, it's much more serious. Um, in 722, Assyria, remember, one of their idols, one of the countries they ran from for protection, turns their backs on them and actually invades them and destroys the northern kingdom of Israel. And God, like, God is not going like, to come up out afterwards and say, see, I told you. He, for years, has been calling his people back to and in, in the lives of the prophets, he's warning them, come back to me, repent, go to the Lord, repent to him, be faithful people, something's coming. And you know what? This time, that something was the Lord himself. Because he's a good father and he knows when to stand up to his kids' idolatry. Because it's important. Because it's weighty. Because it brings people away from him because it leads people to a life of eternity without him. And so, yeah, he is loving enough to stand up to us, to bring things in our lives that we would never imagine God would do, right? He is about to destroy the northern kingdom of Israel, and everyone from the northern kingdom of Israel would be like, no, God can't do that. This isn't God. God wouldn't do this. But for a while now, he's assembled these prophets and warning them something is coming. And I am bringing this because I am a good father. Uh, verses five and seven, five to seven says, they shall return to the land of Egypt, but they shall not return to the land of Egypt, but Assyria shall be their king because they have refused to return to me. The sword shall rage against their cities, consume the bars of their gates and devour them because of their own counsels. My people are bent on turning away from me and though they call out to the most high, he shall not raise them up at all. Right, we, we're not going to go into this section too much because this is actually Carla's job for next week. But what God has been saying here and what he has been saying from chapter 1, and I haven't touched on it yet because it comes later in the story, and we're going to start today, is he's been warning them something is coming. I am not going to let you guys be like this forever. A good father knows when it's time to stand up. For 650 years, I haven't. I've been slow to anger. I've been slow to act, and I've called you, like verse 2, but the more I called, the more you went away, and so I am bringing correction. I am bringing punishment. 
I am bringing something that you will not understand, that you would never have chosen, but in the end, it will produce good things because I'm in it. Since chapter 1 of Hosea, God has been masterfully and beautifully and in a raw way been balancing his eternal love, the love of a father who never wants to bring bad things to his children. He's also been balancing his hard words and his anger because he is a God of righteousness, because he is a God who is perfect in veracity and always speaking and doing the truth. He has to do both. A good father does both. And he's getting Israel ready to face what he's bringing. And in the long run, it will produce good things in the life of his people. And so God, what God is really doing in this section, and in what we're covering next week, chapters 12 and 13, is that he promises hard times are coming. I'm going to do things you did not think I would. I wasn't lying all along when I said I would stand up to you. I was being compassionate that I haven't all of this time. But now it's time to do something. And so let me say something to you. I'm doing this because I'm your father. I'm doing this because your whole life I've taken you by the hand. And I've led you. And I've given you everything you have. I'll continue to do that when I take everything away. Uh, in, the, in the big question that Hosea asked, Will God divorce his church? Will God finally leave? Well, is he ever going to finally have enough of us? Are we going to come home and find that he left us with a note and we'll never see him again? The answer to that is no, because he's our father, and no, because he loves us enough to bring us a punishment that will bring us closer to him, that will finally address the idols, our other lovers, that we've used to hide from him with. At the right time, God always knows when it's time to stand up to our idols. That's his promise. That's what he's really good at doing because he's going to be in it with us. And so chapters, read chapters 12 and 13 to get ready for next week. Read it this week. Uh, read about the struggle of when they again lost all their identity as a people and how God was with them and speaking to them because he is a father who really loves. He says all the time, I am here. I have not abandoned you. I am not gone. Even if you can't see me, I'm here and I'm healing you even though you don't know it. You'll see it one day. And so that leads us to point number three, that God is a God who is righteous to discipline his children also because he carries a heavy heart and a firm promise. God is a God who is able to discipline his children because he carries his heavy heart perfectly while also giving us a firm promise. Uh, let me read uh, verses 8 to 12 again, or at least most of it. How can I give you up, O Ephraim? How can I hand you over, O Israel? How can I make you like Adma? How can I treat you like Zeboim? My heart recoils within me. My compassion grows warm and tender. I will not execute my burning anger. 
I will not again destroy Ephraim, for I am God and not a man, the Holy One in your midst, and I will not come in wrath. Verse 10, they shall go after the Lord. He will roar like a lion. When he roars, his children shall come trembling from the west. They shall come trembling like birds from Egypt and like doves from the land of Assyria, and I will return them to their home, declares the Lord. God's heart, again, even when he says difficult things are coming, my punishment is coming. This season where you, what you thought I was lying about all the time, where you like pushed my grace all the time, it's coming. It's coming and it'll be difficult. And it'll strip you bare. And when you call to me, I won't stop because I know what I'm doing. And I'm going to carry out the thing that I know is best to do to you right now because I'm with you, because it's producing good things to you, because you have my heart, and because I promise that this is doing something good in the end. I promise this is me not killing you, but dealing with the deep things in your life that you could not deal with yourself. Verses 8 and 9 are his, his heart, again, speaking to all of us to you, to every single one of us today still. He says, how can I give you up? How can I do this to you? A good father never actually loves the discipline to their children, but he knows it's important, not just exclusive to fathers, mothers as well. Like, you know that it is breaking your heart. This week, man, I've been tested by Ryan. I have been tested to discipline that boy. And every time I actually have to do it, I think I try and find reasons to not. Oh, he didn't hear me. Oh, he didn't understand. Oh, this is actually, what, the 15th time in the last 10 minutes? Okay, I can't avoid it anymore. God's heart breaks when he has to do this. He doesn't enjoy it. He's not like one of our bad parents, if you had one, who just loved disciplining you, who found joy in hurting you who was manipulative. God is not like man, like he just said. He knows what he's doing. You're his child. I raised you. I love you. I've taken care of you in every way that you can't even imagine. My heart recoils within me, and my compassion grows in me. It, like, threatens to make me want to stop, but I know I can't. And he even gives us promises that his, that, like, his what he is doing won't fully destroy us. It'll do what it's intended to do. He's not coming in his burning anger. He's not destroying everything. He's not destroying our covenant. He's not destroying his relationship with us. He's doing the work that he knows that needs to be done. I'm not divorcing you is what he's saying. He's not abandoning you in times when things get really sparse. Because he's not like us. He's God. And then verse 10 and 11 is the promise. He says that, okay, and then when it's time, I'll roar, and you'll come back. When I'm done doing the work in your heart, in the work in my people, when the work goes deep enough, when it's ready and done, I'm going to roar, and you'll come back. Uh, if you're like me, when you were a kid, you got a lot of warts on your feet. And one of the medicines that I used the most was this medicine that was supposed to penetrate your skin 
and go deep past the roots and pull it all out. And like in seasons like this, that's what God is doing. He can change, he can yell at us until we act right. But the roots are still there. In these seasons where we are like just completely stripped, he's not just working on our behavior, he's working in really deep places. And that takes time. And God says, when, when my work is done, when I've gotten the roots, when I've gotten past just the surface and got everything that feeds your idols, feeds your other lovers, I'll call you and you'll come home. Here he's saying to the, to the uh, Israelites, you think Assyria is keeping you captive? It's me. I'm placing you here. Assyria isn't keeping you here. Assyria is doing what I'm telling it to do. I'm letting this happen because I'm doing really deep work that I couldn't do with you if you were still home. And then when I tell Assyria to let you go, you're going home. His promise in verse 11 is that he'll bring you home again. When he calls, when it's time, nothing will get in the way of him saying, this season is over. That season, it was hard. I was with you. I was taking care of you. I was healing you, even though you did not see me do it. I was there, and I was doing it. The important work you actually didn't do, it was me all along. I've been working in your hearts, and now it's time to bring you home, and everything and every obstacle that you see will answer to me. Every circumstance will answer to my voice when I, when I say, let him go. And then you'll be home with me again. And then we'll be back. And then the deep work will have been done. Not that we'll be perfect, but something really significant happens. Um, I don't know if this is shooting the gun. I think I was going to save this for a, for a week down the, uh, later. But after this time in Israel's history, when they come home from this exile, there is never again any evidence in all of Israel that Israel ever worshipped idols again. They had other problems. They turned God into an idol. But Baal, foreign gods, Canaanite gods, um, Phoenician gods, are never found to be worshipped in Israel ever again after God does the work in Assyria. And so God is a good father able to discipline his children, able to heal us in the seasons we think are doing the exact opposite because he knows what to do. Because in every good season, you're not alone. And in every bad season, you're not alone. It's this loving father who has held you by the hands, whether you've seen him or not, your whole life has been doing the work. And so I, I need to close. Uh, the worship team can come up. But I have an invitation for us today. Uh, our invitation today could just be something that I say, uh, but it could be something that we all actually take time to realize what it means for you in your life. Uh, my invitation for us today is that we step into a greater commitment with God, is that we do the work of realizing in our lives, man, that season, 
I thought he wasn't there. But I can see what he did now that I'm out of here. We can commit to God to saying, Lord, in hard seasons, I'm going to train myself not to question you or whether you're there or whether you're doing something or whether you care. You are with me in the hard seasons, speaking to me, loving me. You are no less loving when I feel I have nothing than when I feel I have everything. Our commitment is to hear the gospel of Jesus. So if you're here and you're not a Christian and you're hearing Jesus for the first time, it's to hear that God came to us in Jesus. He lived a perfect life, a life that was sinless. And then he took a criminal's death and God poured on him while he was dying all of the curse of all of our sin. And on the cross, he died carrying every burden that you have earned was put on Jesus and in his death. And then in the validation of his resurrection, God declares us clean in front of him because of Jesus. And so if you are not a Christian in here, you're hearing that, let's hear that story a little bit more in this season until you agree with it, until you agree with it, until you can say, I agree. He paid my debt. He made me okay with the Lord. And for us who are in here who are believers, is to realize the depth of that story, the depth of what Jesus' death and resurrection did for you, how it saved you all the way through, and that now you have peace with the Father. How you have a place in his home, not because you're ever good enough, but because Jesus made that possible and he secured it. And the dream for us is to be a people who can weather every season and not question, is he here or not? Right? If we can be a people who are solid enough in Christ, where we go through seasons where we lose everything. If tomorrow you lose your job, a loved one, a relationship, your bank account, if you lose friends, if you lose anything for the gospel, for Jesus, for us to be people who never actually let our, uh, never actually have to wrestle with our hearts, is God here with me? Because he has always been with us. And he will always be with us. That's his promise. And so in every hard season, he's doing something deep. Can we be people who figure out what he's doing and partner with him? So let's worship him. And then uh, Carla will come finish us up.